All right, so uh, welcome back to the north side of Chicago for the pod, uh, the Trough Podcast. Um, we are very lucky to have uh, Cubs sideline reporter from NBC Sports Network, uh, Kelly Kroll, joining us this afternoon. Hello. So um, you've been with the Cubs since 2014, right? So... That's going on my fifth season. I just did the math the other day and couldn't believe it. Yeah. So, I mean, you've actually been here for pretty much like the rebuild process, and you were here like as the Cubs are getting good. So before we get into Mm -hmm. some of the talk about, you know, what's going on now or your experience with the team, I just want to kind of get a a sense of like how you started in this business. Um, I've got basically, so what I do know, what I do know about you is, you know, you are a college tennis player. Sounds like you're a big sports fan. Um, you're from the Midwest. Um, so I don't know. Basically, did you see yourself going in this direction um, when you were in college? And, you know, or did you see yourself as an athlete? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, all good questions. Um, great research that you've done so far. Uh-huh. <laughs> I um I grew up in the Midwest, just north of Indianapolis, and uh, truthfully, of course, the dream as a oh naive teenager was that I was going to become a professional tennis player. That was what I was going to do. Yeah, and I was good enough to land myself a scholarship, but not not quite good enough to make it all the way. Um, but I did uh, have just an incredible experience at the University of Missouri, continuing the dream of playing tennis at the highest level that I could play and meeting the teammates that I had who a couple of them had gone pro and then had, you know, decided to kind of close out their career there and come play college tennis, which is something that you can do. Um, So I kind of got a, an idea of what it would have been like on the professional tour, just from a few of my teammates who never broke out of like the top 1000 mm-hmm. um, or into the top 1000 and they were amazing players. So right. that just put everything in perspective as to how great really the, the best are up there. So anyway, but no, going through all growing up and through middle school and high school, a huge sports fan. I mean, tennis was, was the one I just happened to be the best at, but I, my, love was probably basketball growing up in indiana that's kind of a must you were have you, to play were basketball you, um were you in indiana like college indiana uh like an iu fan or a, a pacers fan like what oh it- huge huge yes i mean the the mark uh, uh jackson antonio davis dale davis uh rick right. Smith, reggie miller that crew was right. my crew like okay. those were my guys okay uh, and then who's so so, and, so so who was your favorite tennis player then who'd you look up to in terms of like uh as a role model maybe in the game sure well i think i mean it for any female mind to say they didn't look up to the williams sisters would be kind of crazy i mean they they were the ones setting setting the tone setting a whole new look for women's tennis in general i mean they were doing things we'd never seen before and so they were 
they were idols, they were stars and, and continue to be, you know, incredible uh, role models, really, not only in the sport of tennis, but beyond. I mean, uh, as female athletes, they've really uh, done so much for just the word athlete in general. But yeah, I would say both of those two. And then, you know, it's easy to root for the men as well. You, you have guys like for me, Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi were guys I just absolutely loved watching. So I would say all of those kind of fell under um, tennis players that I watched and tried to emulate certain things that they all had, you know, put it all together and you'd be one heck of a player, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I'd say all of those, but yeah. Um, in college, I, I had family members who went to both Purdue and IU. Okay. I was a big Bobby Knight fan. Um, but then I, later in my career, got to meet Gene Katie and yeah. I thought, man, like, you know, those were just the heydays of, of, college hoops in Indiana though I mean there were they were both great programs and if they could both get back there I think that's you know not only great for the game but the the whole state of Indiana just loves it when both programs can legitimately compete and be pretty you know on the same playing field so Purdue's well, really great this year I'd love to see IU get back into that top 10 talk as well though what did Gene Katie's hair look like in person Exactly like what you saw it on uh, camera. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really not a great look. Yeah, it looked pretty weird. Such an, I mean, just such an endearing person. You couldn't help but just love the guy and think of him as like, you know, your older uncle or your grandpa, if you will, who just, yeah, you just, you love him anyway, right? I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> so, so, I mean, baseball isn't, there's no major baseball uh sports team in indiana uh right. i mean who do you grow up because i mean now you're i know you did some work with uh, oklahoma city thunder but mm -hmm. so did you i mean did you grow up a baseball fan and if you did i mean where do you how do you pick your team if you live in indiana yeah, see, it is. I, I've actually uh, mentioned this before and spoken to people about it. It is tough when you're, especially when you're in the central part of the state, which is where I'm from, because if you're northern, you clearly you start to and you see more. I mean, it's you know, you you can from a, a local cable standpoint you you can see more games whether it be the cubs or whether it be the white Sox. like that just and you're seeing more fans and, and visually it's it's there for you if you're on the north side if you're on the south side of indiana actually you're even closer to that uh st louis city oh that some of us don't want to talk about so literally though there are in southern indiana quite a few cardinals fans okay but from where my family grew up, um, actually the closest team for me from a major league standpoint was the Cincinnati Reds. Okay. That would be like a mm, hour and a half, maybe two hour trek. Whereas Chicago's a good three hours, three and a half hours from where I grew up. So to be, to be completely honest, I probably went to a handful of games a summer with my dad and it, we kind of went back and forth, usually more to Cincinnati than we did going up to Chicago. So I can't say that I really like was a diehard fan of any team. I enjoyed watching good players. I enjoyed good matchups mm -hmm. at the time, but it wasn't until I probably got into college and stuff that I started to gravitate more to what certain organizations were doing. And, and clearly once I got back here to the Midwest and had a chance to be part of what the Cubs were doing, that just made me, you know, a fan on top of the guys I was getting to cover watching these, 
you know, tremendous athletes and, and hard working athletes earn something. And that was, that was really cool. That that's what I, I loved most about it. So yeah, I don't have a great story about like, <laughs> I've been a Cubs fan my whole life. I mean, well, I've gotten to hear plenty of those and it makes me like, right. almost like envious that I didn't really, but basketball was my, that's what I, I had that love for the Pacers. Right. And yeah. So I, I can understand it just with a different sport. It is tough when, when AAA is the main team that's right there. And Absolutely. at the time, Michael, they had kind of flipped organizations as well. That was tough. They had been with Cincinnati forever, mm-hmm. which is nice when you see these players going from AAA and then you see them getting called up and it's fun to follow that. But then they changed to the Pirates organization. Mm-hmm. And it's a little hard to root for a team that's like, halfway across the country, right? right. Pittsburgh seems so far away. And I was like, eh, I'm not really, I don't think I'm going to be a Pirates fan. Like, so it was a little tough in that regard, but yeah, um, it's, it's certainly changed as I've gotten older. So, so when you're, you know, you're in college, you're playing tennis. Um, when does it, when does it hit you that this is what you want to do is pursue, pursue a career in broadcasting, pursue a career in sports broadcasting, but, um, is that something that's kind of immediate, like when you're there? Um. Yeah, that's a really good question. So it actually probably the decision, I don't want to even say the decision, but the process of figuring out what you want to do started for me in high school. Like most people, right? You try to think that way before you choose a college. And I knew that I, I knew I wanted to do something in athletics. Like if I couldn't be a professional athlete, I wanted to figure out a way that sports and athletics was still going to be a part of my everyday lifestyle. Um, and it, So I I knew that and knowing that tennis was going to kind of take me to that next level, I just tried to think about some of the things that might interest me. And the only thing I had a communications teacher tell me in high school that if I could ever use talking and make money out of it, that I could be really good because it came so natural. And I think that was a dig (laughs) more than it was like a pat on the back. But anyhow, I thought, well, you know, talking and sports, if I could put them together, I mean, and the time I was already hearing from Mizzou and knew how um, renowned their journalism program was. And when I went, honestly, Michael, I, I, I visited like two or three different schools. Syracuse was another one that was right up there for me. And it was just way too cold in November for me to see New York as a, as a landing spot for me. So um, when I went to Columbia, I just really felt at home. And I loved the tennis team. I loved the girls I had met. And that that seemed like the right spot. So once I had made the decision there and started in the journalism route, it really just little by little, as I learned more about it and the journalistic values behind what I could be doing with athletics and moving forward, I just fell in love with it and knew that that's how I wanted to that's where I wanted to put my work. It's how I, I mean, I always kind of had a strong drive for whatever it is that I put my mind to. And I felt like that's what I wanted. I had a huge passion for it. And so from there, it was just, you know, how college classes are work, 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 but that's a really difficult field in the sense that just because you can test well, or you can tell somebody that you want to do this, it doesn't mean it will really pan out for you. There's a lot of really tremendous journalism uh, students that never land a job because it's tough, right? I mean, it's hard to get that foot in the door. Mm -hmm. So, so your foot in the door is um, you initially start working in 
Indiana, correct? I did. West Lafayette, Indiana, where Purdue is, obviously. So mostly, I'm guessing, covering Purdue athletics. Yeah, I was very fortunate because, as you well know, many many times when you land that first job, you're in a really tiny city, right. a small market, and your largest sports team could be two hours away. I mean, mm -hmm. you're, you could be in the middle of nowhere where the biggest thing you're covering is really high school sports. I was so fortunate that not only did Lafayette have – Purdue in its backyard, but it has five high schools in that city alone. Well, so, from my perspective, we, Lafayette, Indiana is very important to me because both Axl Rose and Izzy Stradlin are from there, and 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 Guns N' Roses would never be a <laughs> for Lafayette. Exactly. So. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so I just wanted to get that in there because uh, and Blind Melon. I'm really glad you slid that in. You're right, but no, I mean it's a it was a really tremendous. I didn't really even think about it at the time, other than I knew for myself. Okay, I'll be kind of close to family and knowing what you make in first jobs in the television market. I don't want to date myself, but right. at the time I came out, it was very, very, very little money, and I had a feeling. Um, thank God I've been blessed, where my parents have kind of stepped in and helped me out when when I when I needed it you know and for that first job in that first year I I could barely afford like a $500 a month apartment kind of thing you know so so I needed the help and the support to mm -hmm. keep you know pushing and keep following this dream because it's it's tough but yeah. but um I yes I had a lot of good and Purdue was pretty decent in, in hoops that year so you know ESPN was showing up quite a bit and I was kind of constantly getting to see Hey, that's what I want. That's what I want to do. Just keep putting in the work, keep getting to know people. And yep. so, yeah, from there, I was there for about a year and a half and then uh, landed the job in, in Oklahoma City. So, yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, the parallel would be between Oklahoma City and the Cubs. I mean, you saw some really great talent that was drafted and developed by the team. So, I mean, you got to see Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, um, I mean, some top level. Um, basketball players and you're saying basketball was like your your number one sport I got to imagine that was a pretty exciting job oh man that was my dream job so when I first moved out to Oklahoma City here I am kind of shaking my head because that was the big step up for me from market like 200 to market 45 or something right mm -hmm. and um, I was just going to be the kind of the third person on their sports staff at the ABC affiliate okay so that's what I was going to do was kind of like weekday reporter, weekend anchor, when I got chances kind of thing. And um, the only reason I thought this could be a good step for me is because I knew how huge college football was. Mm -hmm. And I knew they were getting an NBA team. At the time, Michael, they didn't have any, any professional sports team. So I thought, gosh, am I like, is this the right step? You know, right, you right. don't know what to think really, but you're like, any experience is good experience. And ABC, obviously with the way college football works, our pregame show led into the, whatever the big national game was that week. So I knew it was going to be a decent stop, at least as far as football was concerned. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the year that uh, Sam Bradford and the Sooners went down to Miami mm -hmm. and played Tim Tebow and company and did not win, but still getting to cover a national championship. And my like second or third year in the job was pretty awesome. And then it was the year later that the Thunder had kind of gotten themselves established. They needed a sideline reporter. They wanted somebody who was familiar with the market. And when they came calling, man, that was my dream job. Yes, an NBA team, one that was up and coming. And for a city and a state that they were all in, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this, that, the at the time, Chesapeake Arena, uh, the, it, 
it was so much fun. It was like an IU or a Purdue college atmosphere. They were, they're just so passionate about it. And that second year I was with them, it was like you said, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and don't forget James Harden was the first man off the bench for them. So watching him drop 60 the other night in the first ever triple double with 60 points, I was just shaking my head at the incredible amount of talent that was on that team. And it's no wonder that, you know, two years in, they're in the finals playing LeBron James, of course, Chris Bosh and D Wade. And really they just weren't experienced enough, but they were equally as talented. If you look at it now, I'd love to see those big three still playing together and making things work. But it was, yes, it was an incredible, incredible experience that I, I I mean, every night I knew I was going to see something fantastic phenomenal out of those guys because they were just figuring out who they were as players and and even young men at that time they were only 21 22 years old right so it was I was kind of getting to grow up with them I think I was probably 23 24 maybe at that time and so yeah it was really it was um a stop that I felt like I grew immensely. I will always look back with fond memories. Um, and then from there, I just had the opportunity to kind of continue to grow and, and open open up a door with baseball as well. It was kind of suggested that I don't, you know, pigeonhole yourself in just one sport, open it up, do it all. And so baseball came along, and that's how I made the hop to San Diego for a year. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 a rough commute right there. To yeah, isn't it? <laughs> the most beautiful place in the United States. Um, I know. So, yeah, and the opportunity to work with a Hall of Fame broadcaster in Dickenburg, right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've had a lot of fortune. And, and, and again, I, I don't want to diminish your hard work. But, again, like you've had a lot of, you know, it sounds like preparation and hard work along with some really good luck. Um, and it, and it's, it's turned into a pretty successful career for you thus far. But so we're talking about, you know, obviously you're, you're reporting on baseball now. Um, you were in San Diego for a little bit. I heard a radio interview that you had done with um, one of the other stations, and you were talking about, um, you know, dealing with players like uh, one of the players you mentioned was Carlos Quentin, and then the other mm-hmm. one was Lackey in Chicago. And it's like, you know, how do you as a reporter deal with somebody who is difficult like that? I mean, like, I, you know, I don't know how 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 do you how do you do that? on a daily basis. Cause you're around the team every single day. Yeah. Uh, and you know, again, you're a young woman and you were saying, you know, you kind of grew up with the, the Oklahoma city thunder. It's like, you know, how do you, how do you learn to assert yourself really? Yeah, that's a, no, that's a really great question. And I appreciate you saying, cause sometimes I do uh, kind of throw it out there um, flippantly that the, all these things just fell into place for me. I, I should say, I should say that for the first four years of my career, I was putting in 60 to 70 hours and working every weekend and carrying cameras that weighed three times, well, at least half as much as I did, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the grinding was there. I don't want to say I, I, the, the, the hard work has to be there for anybody who really wants it. But when it you're passionate about it and you still love what you do every day, it doesn't feel so much like work. And, and eventually you, you believe those things will pay off. And for me, I just kept feeling like the timing was happening and, and God was putting me in the right places at the right time. And, and you're right. I've, I've been so fortunate to be in all of these places with the teams and the players I've gotten to meet along the way. But to go to your question now, I, 
I should say that in a way, and I mean this with with the, the kindest, sweetest way I can, uh, Russell Westbrook really prepared me for the John Lackeys and the um, Carlos Quittens because Russell is a definite chip on the shoulder type of guy. I'm sure from anyone who's noticed his interviews, Absolutely. That, he, that he can be um, a little difficult, if yeah. you will. And it is not coming from a place of not being a good person. That is what I think really needs to be driven home is that I think he probably gets uh, perceived the wrong way more than any athlete out there. He is a great person and off the court most of the time a really nice funny um easy to chat with kind of guy he's just so intense and that's what i've yes and that's what i've decided they all kind of come from that cut of the cloth Mm -hmm. is when they're in their their zone and they're i mean john lackey every fifth day man even his own teammates and same with carlos quinton his own teammates would say it's better to just not talk to them. N- not even us. We we try to avoid them. And you're thinking, okay, well, even if their own guys don't really go up and talk to them, then you shouldn't take it personal, right? Yeah. But, um, but as a young person and a human being, I mean, still, you know, he's an exceptional athlete. intimidating. Yeah. No I mean, I mean, you know, there's... no doubt. And you keep. And for me, I was always like, why will Russ be nice to me? Like as I'm loading the plane, you know, he'll grab my bag and help carry it onto the plane for me. Right. Or something like that. But then the second I turn around and ask him for an interview, he's like, I don't have time for you, Kel. <laughs> like, wait, what just happened here? I thought I had, I thought I had uh, been working on this rapport and blah, blah, blah. But you know, he was also very young, very, very young when I was there. And I have seen him now grow into being, you know, a wonderful husband, a tremendous father. And, and, and he's starting to learn that, that being the nice guy on camera can, can help him more than being the other way. So it's just a maturity thing, but with guys like, you know, Carlos Quinton was just dealing with a lot when I was there in San Diego, he was, he was battling uh, injuries. And um, I think, I think battling the thought of like, if, if it was time to kind of hang up the cleats a bit. So, so I, you know, it didn't even look at the story for that is that I think I told the guy, this interview you're talking about is that I was, I will never forget landing in the nation's capital. We were in DC and we had just gotten swept by Boston. This is middle of June. We're Owen seven so far on the road trip. And we got three more in DC and we land on the 4th of July, mid afternoon evening. And sure enough, fireworks for everybody who's trying to enjoy their holiday weekend. But it is a log jam of traffic. I mean, we just are not moving. We land at the airport, get in this charter bus, and we're just stuck, stuck in traffic. It's hot. Guys are moody. And Carlos Quinton decided he was just going to get off the bus and start walking. Just start walking to the hotel. And everybody was like, what? And Bud Black is sitting at the front of this bus like, dude, what are you doing? You know, sit, sit, sit yourself back down. And he was not going to have it. He got off the bus and just started walking. Granted, we caught up with him probably, you know, whatever, not even a half mile up the road where he got back on and he was sweating his tail off. But um, it was just a, you know, one of those moments that I was like, I will never forget this. Yeah. I will never, never forget that. But well, you know, it, t- if there's anything to be said, Ke- uh, Kelly, I, th- I think baseball might forget Carl- Carlos Quinton. He was a de- he was a pretty <laughs> decent player, but you know, I, sometimes I think the attitude you know can come with, and and, and you can maybe speak to this I, I, as pro athletes. Sometimes you know the, 
you may cover a guy who has this attitude that really doesn't fit with the, the level of performance. I mean, you know, Barry Bonds is notably kind of a jerk to people, but yeah. he's also Barry Bonds, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, Carlos Quentin, uh, you know, decent ball player, but you know, not Barry Bonds. And, uh, you know, Sammy Sosa was able to get away with a lot of stuff because he was Sammy Sosa. So, you know, um, just kind of my opinion on the subject. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, and I do think there needs to be something said for some guys just don't like to do interviews. They just don't. And they may be nice people. It's just not their cup of tea and they really don't like having to answer questions. And that could be for a number of different reasons. How many times have I heard, well, he's not going to talk to you because he got burned by by this city, by that city's media, by whomever. And that was, I mean, that was the card that was out on John Lackey and that Boston had made him be the way he was kind of thing. The Boston media, if you will. And, and I mean, maybe that could be true, but I know for me, what ended up is just (laughs) with Lackey, my very first interaction with him was in Anaheim. Well, I shouldn't say outside of spring training, whatever, but Anaheim was the first place opening day that I got to kind of step up and say, Hey, just wanted to, you know, get a feel for what your weekly schedule is like and when I it's most appropriate to do interviews before a start. Are you a day before guy? Are you two days before? And he kind of looked at me with this smirk and goes, I'm going to be honest. Um, I'd like to talk to you as little as possible. So whatever, whatever that works into your schedule. And I was like, okay, then. <laughs> but however, over time, Uh, He kept seeing me and seeing me and seeing me. And I kept just like here and there, just how's it going? How's the family? You know, not really asking for an interview, just, just trying to get to know him. And eventually what actually ended up happening is John Lester, who is his locker mate. I would sit down and chat with him and interview him here and there. And I kind of, I kind of dropped a little, Hey, you think you could get your buddy, black over here to uh give me like two minutes of of his time one of these days and he was like he kind of then pipes up and is like lack man you're gonna be a and of course used a word i can't say right now yeah the whole season to to her or what and so he kind of pressed his buttons a little yeah and before you knew it it kind of like started to oh manifest itself as more of a running joke and here and there he would lighten up and say if you really need me if there's something like you really really feel like I'm the only guy you can ask this I'll you know I'll talk to you so that's just his thing though right I yeah mean, that, that was lackey's kind of pers- it wasn't just me right I mean, exactly he did it to everybody and yeah. I think in a way it eventually got to a point where he he will respect you he just doesn't necessarily want to do it but if you asked the right questions and he knew when people had to ask certain questions like you knew when the playoffs were approaching last year you had to ask the guy whether he was okay with going to the bullpen or not like once the decision had been made right he was or wasn't going to be a starter that question has to be asked and he mm-hmm. knows that he's been around the game way too long to know that like that wasn't coming his way yeah. so I, I think he does respect that you have a job to do. He just doesn't always doesn't always want to help you out. I mean, just to hear hear you talk about it, it just sounds like a lot of negotiation and a lot of like that, <laughs> like you said, rapport building with these people, which a is impo- which is important. But it's like, man, you know, I don't know. You got to have some patience, I would imagine. And and you know, and like I said before, being. You know, women in in sports. I I, I think sometimes you know uh, some of the sports reporters can be marginalized. Um, 
you know, I don't know if that's something you've experienced in your career. Um, and how's that something, some, something that you deal with? Cause I mean, it sounds like you come at things from a real professional standpoint. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a really good question. And it's, um, I, I, I really, sometimes I struggle with how I want to get into this, but the hardest thing for me has never been dealing with the players. Um, sure. You'll have the guys that can be disrespectful from time to time, but mm. as I grew into my own and, and became what I felt like was respected by most of the athletes and most of the uh, media that I was working with, I, I was able to kind of turn around and sort of set the tone in that moment. Right. And then right. it had never really been a problem from there on out. Um, but more challenging often than not, and what's really disappointing is that it, it oftentimes the negative vibes, if, if for lack of a better word, come from the people around you, come from the people that, you know, are, are working the same locker room that you are and or that are in the same industry that we're in, okay. uh, Michael. And that's what's tough is you feel like you shouldn't be fighting your family. Like we all should be put it pushing one another up and high-fiving each other. And when someone breaks a story, like great nugget, way to go with nice, nice job finding that piece. And then you turn around and you build on it however you can, or the next story you go get, or you find a way to do it, but cutting one another down or making up stories is probably the worst part about it. And for females that can happen pretty quickly, as you can imagine. Yeah, um, I think that's the worst the worst part about it or most disappointing part about it. But when it comes to the athletes, I think one of the things that has always very much helped me is if they are aware of my background in athletics yeah. or oftentimes they've noticed from my approach with them, which is certainly comes out of respecting someone's schedule, respecting someone's work timing, because they all, especially in baseball, are very methodical guys when it comes to their routines and it comes to their timing of when they need to be doing this, when they need to be doing that. And I've always been very respectful of before ever asking for an interview, mm -hmm. stepping up and just asking what's what's on tap for them today. What's what's your schedule look like? How how are things going for you? cool. I'd really love to talk to you about this. When you have a few minutes, will today work for you? Will five minutes from now work for you? And I found that that goes a long way with well, them feeling like you're, you understand that they're busy people. And if they have a few minutes on that day, great. And if they don't, they'll even be willing to maybe come back to you the next day when they do have time. Right. No, I mean, yeah, even in your dealings with me with this podcast that maybe, I don't know, <laughs> five people that listen to it, um, you know, like you've been super considerate and, and uh, professional about things, which is like, man, uh, that's pretty cool. Like it, this lady's actually pretty, uh, you know, respectful yeah. and, and professional. So, well, yeah. thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And I, you know, I just I think people's time is important. I think we all deserve to respect one another's times and what they're doing in their lives and and we all have stuff going on right and everybody's got yep. good days and bad days even these professional athletes it's very i've had a really hard time watching certain athletes get ripped apart for whatever it may be and and maybe i have a little background knowledge on what's really going on with their family at home yeah and just my heart goes out to them sometimes because they're not going to speak up they understand at this point and in this day and age with social media and people throwing stuff up against the wall just to see if it sticks they just stop listening and they stop 
paying any attention to it. And, right. and, my, and I try to always keep that in mind when I walk into a clubhouse is that it's not going to always be a good day for everybody. Yeah. So, so getting into baseball, uh, yeah. the hot stove has been ice cold. Uh, oh, geez. The yeah. Cubbies, you know, they signed some relief pitchers. I think they've done a good job of sort of rebuilding a bullpen. Um, I don't know. I mean, as as a fan and as a as a pretty you know um, intense fan of the, of the Cubs, I don't know if if there's been enough made of the coaching changes um, and how that might impact the team. Um, but you know, what's your take on this offseason? Because it's been very strange. Uh, you know, today that one of the agents came out and suggested a spring training boycott. You had Kenley Jansen bring up the the possibility of a strike, you know, it's, it's starting to get into a territory where you're like, it's February 2nd and there are like 10 marquee free agents that haven't even gotten close to signing a contract. You're right. It is getting into territory of feeling a little uneasy. If that's a fair word to use at this point in time. I mean, I'm a week away from flying out to Arizona and I can't believe that there are this many, like you said, marquee agents still out there. And it's got to be in a way the same word uneasy for them. I mean, these guys, we're sitting there at, um, excuse me, winter meetings uh, down in Florida. And we've got Theo and Jed telling us how guys like to know where they're going before Christmas. Oh, I was, right? you know, that's, and- that's the consideration that I've always thought about is, you know, and as a fan, you don't think about this first. You just think I want the best player on my team, but you're as a human being, you're like, these guys are going to potentially start work in two weeks. Don't you think they want to know where they're going to be? Cause they yeah. have families, you know, they have, you know, things that they need to get their kids in school. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that seems like a giant consideration, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, what? What do you think's going on this this offseason? Well, I think we're all kind of figuring it out as they're figuring it out because the way we get our news these days, it does seem to come out fairly quickly. It sounds like, you know, the the general managers and and owners and such aren't jumping in head first on these seven, eight year deals anymore like they once were. I don't know that the word I feel like the word collusion's being thrown around to whimsical I think it's being used too lackadaisical I don't think that's what we're looking at but I I do think that the players are very frustrated and I understand that I mean I understand where they're coming from in the sense that hey if the last five to ten years guys have been getting this that have the similar you know stats to me they're the same age as me like you're you're Jake Arrieta and you're looking at Scott Boris being like okay but Max Scherzer got this man pull it off right right I'm paying you get this deal done and the problem is Scott Boris isn't able to do that right now or else this would be all put behind us and there would be deals being made but that deal is not coming around anymore and I don't know if it will in the future once they figure some of these things out but with what is the salary cap that in a roundabout way that the collective bargaining agreement players agreed on right and I don't think they saw this coming um I I get it I get why they're frustrated now don't get me wrong any of listeners who are like I don't feel bad for a guy whose minimum is 4.1 million okay I, I get it I get it None of us are crying for millionaires. None of us are, I'm not there, but I am saying no matter what job you're in, 
we oftentimes when we try to either whatever look for a new job or we're, we're signing a contract with whoever we work for we're going in to ask for a raise we look at what is comparable right mm-hmm. and that's what these guys are doing and they're not getting it so i do get the frustration from that standpoint so, so and I, I guess an aside question is is we still have some needs on the roster mm-hmm. um as as i see it um you know do you see you know from the i mean you have obviously a better pulse on the team do you see them making a move for a starter? Because I hear a lot in the media, we're good with who we're going into the season with, with five starters. Um, as I, I don't really buy it, but but I hear that. Um, and I don't know what your feeling is on that. And I think we're probably maybe even an outfielder short, you know, an extra kind of a John Jay type guy. Yeah, who's still out there right now as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when push come to shove, I think he may be a guy that eventually settles just because he he has kind of, I mean, he knows where he stands in terms of his years in the game and this, that, the other. And he may decide, hey, I like, I like Chicago. I like the guys there. I'm willing to do this just to kind of put it to rest. But, I mean, I'm not saying that will happen, but I'd love to see John Jay come back. I think most of the guys would. And I am totally on board with you. One more outfielder would be nice to see. They signed uh, What's-His-Face just this week as Gorgeous. on a minor league drill. Yes, on a yeah. minor league deal. And, and we'll see what, what that I, comes of it. But I I, I'm with you on liking what they've done with the bullpen. I think the closer situation right now, you've got to see because no one wanted to pay what Wade Davis just went out and made, but right. the Rockies did it. Right. Um, but I think you got to see what he's got. I love the thought of where um, Justin Wilson may be. I mean, this guy was a legitimate closer up in Detroit, and something happened when he came here last year. If he can get himself back on track, I love the thought of there being him out there, CJ Edwards you know, and Pedro Strope, those are all guys that can fit into that seven, eight, nine ish innings right now. Yeah. And And C-Shack and C-Shack gives you a different look too. Exactly. I I, I like the C-Shack signing. I love that. If again, Justin Wilson has, or Justin Wilson, excuse me, Justin Grimm has talent. He's still back there. Um, Yeah. I think that there are, I like the way that that's shaped right now. And that's not to say that, you know, before the deadline and midsummer, if they really, really need someone, that's something we've seen Theo and Jed go make happen. If, if they're there and it makes sense, like they did with Chapman. The one thing I think is still at the, at a, a must right now is is adding another starter and i i'm just waiting to see what starts to to uh, melt this ice because i think it could still be an alex cobb i i think people need to remember too that jimenez not only worked with you darvish but he also worked with alex cobb so he makes sense for a number of reasons yeah but you darvish he's still on the radar i just don't know i mean it has been so quiet you try to talk to any any of these guys, even the Jed Hoyers and such, and there's just not much movement right now. So I, mean, I don't it, know. It seems to me like the 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 Arietta reunion's unlikely and unlikely. And I I don't as a fan understand it, um, because of him being kind of a known commodity. I mean, if you look at him up against you Darvish, you look at you Darvish, two World Series games, two really bad starts. You look at Jake Arrieta, two World Series starts, two wins, a World Series title, and the only guy to win an NLCS game last year for the Cubs. I, I feel like you got a known quantity 
uh, versus a guy who really struggled when the lights were big. And, you know, I know people talked about him tipping his pitches, but and but to me, if you tip your pitches, you're not a great pitcher because uh, part of the game is mental, you know, and actually knowing that people are, you know, picking up on these things. So I, I to me, it's kind of confounding to think that, that that Jake Arrieta thing's unlikely and maybe it's cost. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly why. I think you're going to probably – I think you're going to probably get Darvish for a slightly better deal because of everything you just mentioned. However, I am of the belief having spoken to a couple of pitching coaches and um, uh, specifically the one who has worked with him before. And I know that that is easily fixable. And I think that uh, the change of scenery with, Wrigley and the thought of where he could be in that rotation. I don't know. I, I still like it, Michael. How about that? Okay. I still like okay. the Darvish thing. Only I like it. Because I think the deal can be better than the deal is going to be for Jake Arietta. But that's not to say that if they get him for what they want, heck yeah, bring Arietta back. I'm on board with any of the three right now. Yeah. I just want him to get somebody else in there because as much as I like Mike Montgomery, yeah, that's another guy that I just don't know what the best situation is going to be for him yet. Um, he's, I, yeah, I don't know for the Cubs just aren't ready to make him their five guy yet. Well, and I'm not and, really sure why, but they are just not. And it'll give you something to report on Kelly. <laughs> right yeah. It's the Sahara so desert. So, so true. Yeah. You mentioned the coaching staff and that really should have been, during Cubs convention, probably the biggest story we were talking about instead of Kyle Schwarber's weight loss. But yeah. you're absolutely right with Hickey and um, Chili Davis and all of these guys that they're talking about, Butterfield coming in. Um, it That's a huge transition for I think the so, yeah. core group that has been together. Young guys mm -hmm. who have all really attached themselves and gravitated to the coaches they had here. I mean, Basio, and you think about um, – People don't talk a lot about Eric Kinski because right. he was the assistant hitting coach. Right. But that guy meant a lot to a lot of these players. I mean, he was kind of the comic relief along with the like, I'm going to shoot you straight, pal. You're, you're not doing this. Or right now, they don't trust you to be able to hit, you know, a lefty at this point in the game or whatever it is. He was very straight with the guys, and they appreciated that on top of just being kind of funny and, and closer to them in age than a lot of the other guys. So. I am with you on the thought that it is going to take some time for this meshing to happen and for the uh, camaraderie and chemistry that was certainly there in 2016. Um, I think that could be an interesting storyline to watch play out at the beginning of the year. I'm, I'm, I know I'm interested in seeing that yeah. spring training in a week or so. So, I mean, you, I, I had the pleasure of seeing you host the session that Wilson Contreras probably had a fun <laughs> moment. I think you handled it well, and it, it turned into something really hilarious and it went kind of viral. Um, but, you know, I thought that that was probably one of the best sessions at the Cubs convention, um, you know, obviously with the talent, but I think you facilitated it real well. Um, so... But in, in the same vein, I you know, I, I've got a couple. I want to respect your time. You respected, you know, your players' time. I want to respect your time. Uh, but I've got thank you. I've just got some I've got a couple of kind of kind of uh, you know, off off topic questions for Kelly Kroll. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe for some listeners to get to know Kelly Kroll a little bit better. So all right, uh, what is Kelly Kroll watching on Netflix right now? 
What am I watching on Netflix right now? Not right now. But. So, well, uh, well, I guess I was way behind everybody else on the whole. I really just finished Breaking Bad like the end of last year. And that was one that like a bunch of the guys in the clubhouse were like, I can't believe you haven't watched this. And I, I just truthfully don't have a whole lot of time to sit down. And that is no dig at people who like do. I just have not. I kind of get into this is going to sound weird. I like I get into stuff like Criminal Minds. Okay. And uh, NCIS. I there's love there's a dark like side to Kelly Cross. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> I just love the the, the psychological um, thought through. Um, like with Criminal Minds, it's all about behavioral. They they are looking at the behavior of these killers to figure out who they are. And I know that is so dark. You are. I would about psychology that has always like intrigued me and people reading other people. And I think that maybe that plays into what we do. Like you have to read body languages and um, demeanors of people to to figure out the best way to communicate with them. And that's a huge part of what I do. I think in order to get guys to feel comfortable talking to me on camera, because really talking on camera is not comfortable for anybody. It's just not a normal thing. So I think there is a psychological side to that. that I, I appreciate. I would, weird recommend, angle. I would recommend a show called Mind Hunter on Netflix. It is kind Someone of. Someone just told me that yesterday. Yeah. Just told me. And yeah. I was going to try and pull that up and tell you. It yeah. sounds like it's right up your alley, which would be, you know, the dark end of the street. But any, anyway, anyway, <laughs> Kelly Crawl, what are you listening to? Do, do people buy iTunes anymore? I don't know. Do you have Spotify? Like what, what's on a Kelly Crawl playlist when you go to the gym yeah. or you're in the car? Sure, I'll do some Spotify. So if I'm at the gym, I'm kind of like, again, that's going to be really weird, but I'm kind of like a, like a rap, really fat, like hip hop or something that's like almost angry to okay. get me like get me pumped and uh running and all that but on a normal occasion i'm a huge 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 country fan i, love I was just gonna music. guess that i don't i don't know why i mean maybe it was the indie <laughs> thing I, I didn't want to stereotype but but i was gonna guess it, country. yep it doesn't matter who it is that's out there right now all the new artists and everyone i am just i love love country music and i'm super excited for the ones that are coming to wrigley this summer i always always try to to get to those concerts. So anything, you name it, I'm loving it if it's country. All right. Um, Valentine's Day is coming up. Kelly, Kelly Kroll's celebrity crush. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Oh my gosh. A celebrity crush. Yeah. Um, uh, this, this is, is bad. I'm bad. I'm bad when you put me on the spot with um, celebrity names. But um, I mean, oh, you... I, I gotta think. I gotta think of all these. Uh, Ryan. Um, I can't even think of his last name. That's how much I like him as a celebrity crush. Um, I'm trying to think. He was in a movie with Sandra Bullock, uh, where he had to be like the boyfriend. <laughs> job. This is Wait, who am I thinking? Oh, he's married to the um, the blonde, uh, beautiful. <laughs> God, what is his name? Is this um? Ryan <laughs> you know who I'm Reynolds? talking about? Ryan Reynolds. Help me out here. I think he was Van Wilder. Is that who you're talking? Yes, about? Yes, okay. that one. 
All right. I think that's Ryan Reynolds. I could be wrong, but Ryan Reynolds. There was... you go. I would say he would probably be my celebrity crush, but I'm equally as like crushing on his wife because she's like my oh, I just think she's absolutely stunning. So okay. I kind of have a duo. I have it. I have a celebrity couple crush. There okay. Go. Okay. Is that um, cool? I have to be really careful, you know. Yeah, my boyfriend's yeah. not gonna like this part of the segment. <laughs> You're never gonna meet these people, Kelly. Ever. It's it's that's why it's a celebrity crush. Hey, you'd be surprised who throws out the first pitch at Dodger Stadium well, know, when we go out there. Well, we okay. And stuff. Yeah, we got to meet her last year. <laughs> what well, Ryan Reynolds? You never know. Um, anyway, um, so I would like to thank you for your time. Uh, it's been a great interview. Again, uh, again, I, I kind of wanted to get more of this story. We talked a little Cubs baseball, but it's like, you know, uh, you've done a really good job as a sideline reporter. I think it is sort of a comfortable, um, uh, comfortable, like Cubs fans are really starting to get to know you as a part of the broadcast. Um, oh, thank you. And I think it's it's really great. So, um, you know, we I kind of wanted to get a little bit more on, you know, who you are as a person and how you how you got to do what you wanted to do. So, again, I appreciate the time. Um, it, it, if during the season, you know, maybe once or twice you, you can come by or, or stop by and drop a nugget on us, um, I would really appreciate it. But uh, but thank you very much. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. I'm glad. I hope I hope that the, the Cubs fans that do listen understand like exactly what you were just saying, how much I I I feel as though I'm a part of that organization in a way that has grown with these guys and, you know, have, have kind of all reached that pinnacle. And yet each year we come back with a kind of a new hunger to be better and do better. I'm just doing it from from the sideline and they're doing it on the field. And so I, I just really think the way that they approach the fans and feel like this community is such a huge part of who they are. I know that I certainly feel that way as well. And it's always been um, a pleasure to be joining Len and JD day in and day out. All right. Well, the trough. Thanks you, Kelly. Thank you. All right.